welcome to the Be The Light Crown Edition podcast. I'm Hannah Frey, your host and pageant queen extraordinaire. Fun fact, while most people are resistant to change, I'm excited by it. So this podcast is designed to allow me to be the light for others. By sharing my experiences across countless topics where I demolished my fears, prejudice, expectation, and rebuilt brick by brick. My hope is I can encourage you to seek knowledge, implement change, and above all, trust in God. So let's get to it. It's time for some you time. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Be The Light Crown Edition podcast. We are so very excited to continue our foster series with an interview with none other than my bestie, Rachel Phelan. Hello, Rachel. Hello, hello. We are so excited to have you here. Other than obviously, like we needed you on the podcast at some point. You are one of my best friends and you're an avid <laughs> listener. At least you tell me that you are. But more importantly, in your job and in your day-to-day, you're very close to foster care and you're very yeah. close to what I've been going through. So why don't we start by you introducing yourself, give us a little bit about your background, your history, whatever you want to share, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, of course. Um, so as Hannah said, uh, my name is Rachel Phelans. Um, I currently am employed with the Indiana Department of Child Services. So I am um, I'm an ongoing caseworker. So what I do is I follow, um, once a case is opened, I follow that to case closure, whether that be through reunification, guardianship, adoption. Um, we have a really cool program here in Indiana called um, Collaborative Care, which I can talk about a little bit later. Um, so that's something for our older youth. Um, uh, my background, I have worn many, many hats, but the majority of my professional career has been, um, with some kind of social service or mental health position, I guess. Um, Mm -hmm. I had a stint in special education was not my vibe. Um, (laughs) but, um, you know, this is, this is really where I thrive and it's where my passion is helping, you know, kids in the state of Indiana. And I'm a voice for the voiceless a lot of times. hundred percent. So, um, Educationally, um, my bat my bachelor's degree is in sociology. Graduated from Indiana University. Um, getting ready to get my master's in social work from Indiana University as well. So uh, that double IU degree is a pretty big deal for me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that's that's you. Where- I didn't I didn't know you were going back for your master's. Good for you. Surprise, sis. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, excuse me, finding about this on the podcast, but no, that's great. I'm so excited for you. I thought I told you. I didn't mean to spring <laughs> on you. I thought I told you that. It's fine. It's fine. I'll let it go. You've been a little busy. Um, yeah. Also, just like recently got your dream home. It's a beautiful house. Yeah. Just thriving, all the doggies, all the things. Yeah. So. Um, so I'm gonna apologize in advance if any of my dogs do anything crazy in the background. <laughs> um, while we're recording, I do have four dogs dogs. Um, one of them is only about nine months old. So he's a little chaotic. Um, well, you mentioned a lot about Indiana and I know a lot of my listeners know that like, obviously I live in Northwest Indiana and that's where we met, but I feel like I always share background about my guests and how we've met (laughs) because I just have like the weirdest connection stories with people. So why don't you you tell people like, how did we meet? How did we become new best friends? (laughs) So, um, I was Mrs. Indiana, United States, 2018. So the year after Hannah and, um, I, 
had a struggle getting my crown and sash before I needed my picture. So I reached out to her and I was like, Hey, um, weird question. Is there any way I could borrow your crown and sash for (laughs) pictures? And she's like, yes, sis, I got you. No problem. We found out we had a lot in common. Um, and then, um, I've been a local director in the Miss Indiana organization since um oh i'm lagging there for a minute oh that was weird um oh, i've been a local right in the miss indiana organization since 2015 mm-hmm. and um got you to come on board as my co-director during your yeah. time here and um just hit know, it off <laughs> we're basically the same person in different fonts so this is true I met and filled a need that you had. And then I think I'd also reached out about volunteering for your pageant. So I was like, oh, you host, you know, one of the, the pageants. Yeah. Locally. yeah. And, and I was like, to- well, I don't need any judges right now, but I could use a co-director. So <laughs> yeah, it's like, want to help me run the thing? I'm like, sure, let's do this thing. So that's how it started. And here we are. And we yeah. make a pretty good effort of traveling to see one another and, and making time for one another, oh, which yeah. I so appreciate about our our friendship. And I mean, we, we talk all the time, even if it's just like random memes on TikTok and Instagram and text, maybe simultaneously. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. And then like yeah. even weird things like finding out we were both going to be in Tampa at the same time. Oh my gosh. Yeah. How could I forget? And we yeah made time for each other then too. That yeah. was so fun and absolutely so random. So love that for us. Uh, we'll plan our next get together soon. So yeah, that's kind of our background for folks who are curious. If you've been around a while, you've seen me posting, you know, stuff with Rachel. Um, but yeah, she's in Indiana. Sadly, I'm now in Mississippi, but still keep up with one another. And she's been such a great support for me as well as I kind of explored, do I want to get into foster care? It was right around the time, maybe it was after, I'm trying to remember like what the timeline was because we started to apply in February and we became uh, eligible in end of July. And when did you, how long have you been with the agency? Um, I think it's not the right word, but. I mean, it is an agency, Um, but I've been with the department for, it'll be two years in June. Okay. Yeah. So it was before that then. So you were, yeah. So we've had those conversations about what that might look like. And you, you were able to help me answer some of my questions about the certification process, which was super helpful. Um, I think one thing that would be helpful to kind of kick things off is to explain, you know, how you, um, initially got into social work. Like what kind of is, has been your driving force on wanting to, to serve in that way? Yeah. So I've always wanted to work for DCS. Like ever since I graduated, it's something that I wanted to do. And unfortunately, um, you know, time was just never right. And I'm a firm believer that everything is in God's timing. And I think he knew that fresh out of college, 22 year old Rachel would not have what it takes to work for DCS because it is grueling and you have to have thick skin. And um, Mm -hmm. I at 22. I mean, I mean, I still cry very easily. Like if my emotional state deviates anywhere outside of neutral, but, um, you know, it's, it's really one of those things that I, I worked for and I applied several times. And, um, I know that you've talked in, in the past on episodes about just, you know, trying new things and not being afraid to try new things. And, um, so I, I, I did try, new things. I did mental health case management. I worked, um, as a skills trainer and case manager at a residential facility for quite some time. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I worked with kids in coming out of the foster care system as a life coach. And, but the, the drive to want to work for the department never went away. And Mm -hmm. so, um, you know, when I finished with 
doing special education and I, I just needed something different. Um, Mm -hmm. there was an opening at, at one of the counties and it wasn't my County. Um, but I was like, you know what, it's a good County. I'm going to give it a try. And they called me for an interview. I came in, sat down with the interview and the previous interviews, they would hand you this picture and it was of what looked like a hoarder's house. And they told me to write something about it. And Mm -hmm. more times than not, I was told I was like, I'm trying to think, how did they word it? I, I was told that I was too descriptive and not descriptive enough for what they wanted. Hmm. And I, you know, interview was my strongest part of pageantry. So I always felt yeah. like I nailed these interviews. And then I was getting rejected. I was rejected seven times mm-hmm. um, by counties that typically don't reject anybody. So I was like, wow. Okay. Rude. Um, right. <laughs> but I, you know, I applied for the County that I work in now and I did the interview and they called me pretty much before I even left the parking lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to wait a while because you have to do background checks. You have to do fingerprints. You have to do drug screens and things like that, just to make sure that you're not a serial killer drug addict, um, to work for the Fair. department. And right. once I got that done, um, you know, I started the training process and it was something that just instantly clicked with me. So, Um, I had friends that grew up in the foster care system or with DCS involvement. And it's something that I just, I wanted to be a voice for those that couldn't speak for themselves. Yeah. Uh, I love that about your story, about how I I know how persistent you are and I know how good of an interviewer you are. So it's just definitely a testament to God's timing. And um, I've I've heard you share, you know, some stories, of course, uh, as much as you can share, and it's just hard to hear. And so that kind of leads me to my next question about, you know, what is the biggest challenge about working for DCS? It's Mattis. Stop. They always, they think it's dinner time, but it's not. Um, So biggest challenge um, is definitely, you know, when things don't go as they're supposed to. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of times the timelines are grueling because we are held to a certain standard of what the timelines are supposed to be from case opening until we should be closing. And sometimes those come with the termination of parental rights. Mm -hmm. Um, and the problem is, um, with the foster system in Indiana, and I'm going to bounce around all over the place with a lot of these things, and it may be ADHD. It may be passion. It may just be because that's how we (laughs) segue into things, but no, that's um, great with the foster care system. Um, when a child is over the age of 12, the chances of them being able to find a foster home that is willing to adopt them decreases dramatically. Mm. And, um, even placing a kid that is 15, 16, 17 years old, it's nearly impossible. So a lot of those kids end up in group homes Mm -hmm. and that's really, really hard to see a kid that's been through so much and have them feel like they're not wanted. Mm. And I've had more than a few of them that have said, well, Miss Rachel, can I come home with you? Mm. Nope. I'm not allowed to bring things home anymore. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I know, I know your husband. So, <laughs> yeah. and, um, you know, and I, I told them, you know, we are also in the process of being licensed, but that in itself is very, very difficult because I cannot be licensed in the region where I work. So I have to find elsewhere within the state, within a reasonable distance with workers that I would trust to, um, be a licensing worker for us to finish that process. So, 
you know, and I, I tell kids all the time, I'm like, well, I can't take kids from the county where I work um, or even the surrounding counties. So, but we're going to do what we can to find you somewhere to go. So just yeah. the, the permanency aspect can be really, really difficult. Um, you know, just making sure that these kids are going to be cared for, for the rest of their lives, whether that's with a relative, whether that's with an adoptive parent, whether that's back with their parents. Um, yeah, it's, there are a lot of hard times. Um, there's a lot of heartbreak, um, but there's also a lot of triumph. And I try to cling on to the good more than the bad on the days when the bad gets to be really bad. Yeah. Gosh, I can only imagine that's hard to hear that, that the age, you know, I, I can understand, I can understand it because, you know, kind of going through my own emotions of what we, because we're only licensed for zero to five, right? And so we had to make those calls for our home, mostly based off of like the current age of kids in our home, right? Like I didn't want to bring in like a 12-year-old and have a four-year-old. I'm like, oh, I don't really know. Yeah. Parent. I don't know how to parent pass for. And so, um, but yeah, that's, that's hard to hear because it's for those kids, they can't understand, you know, those decisions. It's, they just feel like they're not wanted. So, and yeah. even, and I've talked about this in my previous episodes, but, um, Skylar's dad, right. He was in a boy's home in St. Louis, but I want to say he was adopted out at age eight, um, which still feels kind of late, you know, yeah. so totally, totally understand. Um, well, on that note, what, it, what is your, the favorite part of the job, the best part of the job for you? Oh my goodness. Um, case closure. Um, I love reunifications. I love when we've got kids at home on trial home visit and everybody agrees that we're done. And I am able to show up and say, Hey, I need you to sign this discharge plan. We're going to get that wardship termination and your kids, your kids are home with you and we're, we're out of there. Um, but adoption hearings are, are just amazing. Um, especially for kids that have been through a lot. Um, you know, we have a lot of kids with a lot of trauma and, When they finally get to go up and stamp their adoption decree or bang the gavel, it's just, it's really beautiful. And there's usually never a dry eye in the house. Um, So, and I get a lot of very, very grateful parents as well. And that is something that, you know, when people think about DCS or DCFS, CPS, whatever it's called and whatever region your listeners are in, um, they think that these parents are terrible people. And I deal with my fair share of evil and and anger and cruelty but sometimes they just need a little bit of help and there's a lot of phoenix rising from the ashes moments that i have had and it's truly beautiful to see and it's humbling to be a part of these people's stories yeah i love to hear that because there is certainly even for me before coming into my role as a foster home of that stigma right and thinking gosh, these parents just, are they just like idiots? Or do they just truly not know any better? Are they just terrible people and know they are and choose to be? And to your point, I think there's a mixture of both, but it's not exclusively one way or the other. Um, I'd actually be curious, just anecdotally from your experience, what is like the ratio of reunification versus adoption versus um, like staying in the system? Do you feel like you have more reunifications than you thought, or does it kind of lean heavily towards adoption? We do have, um, just within the state, I think reunification is kind of our primary goal. Um, because a lot of people think the goal of foster care is to keep kids somewhere safe until they can be adopted. The primary Mm -hmm. goal of foster care is for children to have a safe space to be so that we can work towards reunification. The goal of foster 
care is not adoption. It's reunification. Yeah. Now, granted, do sometimes children need to be placed in a pre-adoptive foster home? Yes. Because reunification is not always in an ideal world. Reunification would be the hundred percent outcome. Sure. But reality, not everybody's able to get themselves together, um, to have reunification be the outcome. So, um, you know, I can't, I can't really speak to, to my County or the state as a whole, um, because it does vary. Mm. It really depends. Um, (coughs) goodness, but, um, you know, I would say if I had to guess maybe 60% reunification, 30% um, adoption or guardianship and 10%, um, you know, our older youth services mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of aging out of that. Yeah. Yeah. So the good thing is, and I, I had mentioned before the, um, the collaborative care, we have a really, really great program and I, I think it's a federal thing. So I'm guessing that they have it all over the, the nation, but we really are, are proud of it here in Indiana. Um, and it's a program called collaborative care. It's getting a new name, but it's going to be collaborative care. Cause I hate learning new acronyms. <laughs> um, right. But it is a service to help kids that are teetering on aging out. Um, so that they're not just left on somebody's doorstep with no resources or skills at 18, but this follows them until 21. It's a completely voluntary program. They help with things like trade schools, um, getting your GED or credit recovery, um, completing the FAFSA, college applications, um, housing, budgeting, pretty much anything. They help these kids become adults. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of success within the collaborative care program. Kids can be married. You know, if they have a, if they get married at the age of 19, 20, they can still be part of collaborative care, which is something I just found out. Um, they can have children, you know, people think that, oh, you know, a baby has a baby, when a child has a baby in foster care, it doesn't automatically mean that that child's going to become a ward of the state. Right. So collaborative care is something that helps these kids go from lost, broken kids to successful adults. And I think that's one of the best things about our programs here. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, you know, we we have um, listenership and viewership in, I think, almost 38 states at this point. So, like, hopefully, yeah, hopefully there are more states out there who have a similar program because, to your point, it you have to be taught how to be an adult. Like, your brain doesn't just magically, like, I'm still learn things. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, I'm 31 and I still feel like, where's the adult sometimes in the room? Like, is it me? <laughs> so, I mean, it's, yeah, it's so important to give these kids life skills because we just don't want that perpetuation, um, which is oftentimes, yeah, what we're seeing. That's great to hear. Well, to that point, is there one thing um, that you wish people like knew or understood that's maybe a common misconception about foster care or social worker, DCS or what have you? Oh my goodness. Um, this is going to be a six hour podcast. If I get into all of it, um, you gotta pick one Rachel or your top so two. Maybe. I'll hit my bullet points. Um, <laughs> so when it comes to, to social workers and like DCS, DCFS, CPS, um, we, our job is very, very hard. We don't like breaking up families. Um, but we love putting them back together. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people think of us as just these super cruel, cold people. And that's, that's not the case. You do have to have a big heart to do this. Yeah. Um, 
and with foster care, specifically with foster kids, um, a lot of people look at foster kids and think they're broken or unwanted. And again, that could not be further from the truth. These kids are the poster children for resiliency most times. Like they have trauma and they need help to work through them. But these kids are phenomenal. And a lot of them go on to become social workers or teachers or somebody that will be able to, to help give back to other children. And, um, you know, and foster, foster parents, one of the things I hear a lot is, oh, foster parents just in it for the money. It's Mm -hmm. not, that's not the case to, Mm -hmm. to open up your home and your family to a child in need is something that is truly selfless and beautiful. And, you know, I, I see so many foster parents that when reunification happens, it's bittersweet because a child has been a part of their family for anywhere between a couple months and a couple years. And now yeah. these children are going home and they're happy that they're going home to their families, but it leaves a void. It leaves yeah. a void in your life. And um, so it, these people don't do it to make money. They don't do it for, uh, I mean, granted, there's always bad apples in every bunch, but I don't, I don't want to focus on that. Um, foster parents are truly making a difference in the lives of children and they are selfless superheroes in my book. Um, we right now have a shortage of foster parents. Um, it used mm-hmm. to be that we just had trouble placing older kids, but right now, um, you know, we're having trouble placing babies, wow. which is unheard of. Yeah. Yeah. I was, yeah, I was always told babies always get placed. Yeah. We're, we're having trouble placing younger kids too. And it's, it's really, really difficult because if we, if we don't have foster parents in the same area where their kids are at, especially if we have siblings, they get split up and they could be clear across the state. Yeah. So, um, you know, if anybody is listening specifically in the state of Indiana, um, we would love if you're, if you're being called to it and you feel like, you know, you have what it takes to be a foster parent. Um, so for us, um, foster parents have to be at least 21, pass mm-hmm. a criminal background check and criminal history, including fingerprints, which to become a foster parent, um, you know, and this is for relative care to relative kinship. Um, you know, the, you don't really have to pay for a whole lot. Um, you've got to have financial stability, um, mm-hmm. owner rent housing that meets the physical safety standards. So you've got to have the smoke detectors. You have to have adequate bedroom space, reliable transportation. Yep. Um, make sure that everybody in the house is healthy. That includes pets. Um, you know, making sure your pets are all up to date on rabies shots and everything like that. Um, yep. and then there's some classes that you have to take. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't need to be married. You don't need to have children. Um, you don't have to be heterosexual or heteronormative. Um, anybody can that meets the cri- the basic criteria can be a foster parent. Um, pretty much the, the biggest requirement is that you just, you need to be willing to open up your heart and your home to a child in need. And yeah. kids can share, siblings especially can share a room. Um, there are, you know, different, um, different requirements for ages of, of kids that can share rooms and things like that. But don't think just because you only have two bedrooms that you can only have, you know, one foster child that you 
you can work with your licensing worker on that. And I don't, I'm not on the licensing side, so I can't speak to exactly what those are, but I just know that there is gummy, sorry, nightmare. <laughs> um, I just know that there is a huge, a huge need for foster parents across the country, but I, I can speak specifically for Indiana that we are in desperate need of foster parents. Yeah. That's great to share. And it's a make, good point that you make. And I wanted just to call back to like, the interesting, um, like almost like negative thoughts about foster parents sometimes is you hear these horror stories of families just taking in a bunch of kids and making money. And I don't know if people understand why that might be. So just wanted to kind of explain, like you do get a monthly stipend for accepting a foster child into your home. Um, it's for, for us, this is public information so I can share it. It's like around $700, um, for just a regular placement in the state of Mississippi. Um, there are sometimes extra payments if you're kid is like special needs or there's other things at play there, but that is to cover food, housing, clothing, like everything and any additional daycare expenses. In our case, we have a daycare voucher. Uh, it doesn't cover hundred percent of the cost. So we still pay a good chunk out of our monthly stipend for daycare. Um, so I, I mean, I guess if you had a ton of kids, you could make money. I feel like we're barely, well, to actually, to be completely transparent, we haven't gotten a single payment. <laughs> the state's messed up our payments. So like, LOL. Oh my goodness. Uh, we haven't gotten paid in like three months, so there's that. But yeah, ideally, you're supposed to get paid, and they're working on that, I guess. Um, so yeah, that. But I guess the the concept is there that if you had a bunch of kids, you know, you're you could be, you know, making yeah. money, I guess, so to speak. But really, that money is to go to taking care of the kids and ensuring that, like, like we, you know, pay to have Journey's hair done, uh, just because it's, you know, we want to make sure it's done correctly and there's a certain way in which you need to work with you know african-american hair um learn to do it but it's just better if we can pay someone to braid it so it lasts longer and it's done better um you know paying for clothes for school uniforms let you know making sure that we take her out to do fun things like go to the movies so we feel like we break even with a single placement but to your point um there are people who kind of find a way to to keep that money and use it as an income so yeah and it's if you're a um if you are a licensed foster parent um you don't have access to a lot of the things that um, maybe a relative placement or a kinship placement would have, such as clothing vouchers and and things of that nature, um, because that that per diem does pay for a lot of those things, and it does vary based on the needs of the child. Um, and I think for it varies sure. even by state. But you know, with the cost of living, a lot of people are struggling to figure out how to do groceries for their own kids. So you know, if they have the heart to take in another child and give them a safe place to be mm -hmm. until they can find stability and um, permanency, then, I mean, the least that people can expect is that there's a little something to help them out with that. Yeah. Um, I think there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. Yeah. It it's all it's not an astronomical out, amount. Like nobody is becoming the net, the next like <laughs> Elon Musk by be being a foster parent or anything like that. Absolutely um, not. another misconception. They're like, Oh, foster parents. Like you're getting paid the big bucks. Not quite. No, like I said, oh. I've, I've, we pretty well, well, we're in the hole right now. <laughs> One of these days when we get paid, we'll, we'll break even. <laughs> um, awesome. Yeah. This wanted to, to kind of cover that, which is helpful. So I feel like we've already covered a question I wanted to ask you about, like, how can people make a difference? Like, obviously the call to action is like become a foster parent, but if that's not something you can do, even in my podcast, if I would go back and listen to that because it talks through ways that you can support uh, folks who are foster parents or, you know, other ways that you can kind of get involved mm -hmm. if that's not your immediate call to action. Um, 
So yeah, kind of moving into our last few questions here then. So what would you say is your, maybe your biggest pet peeve about the the foster system today? Like something that kind of just like irks you? Oh, um, I think, I don't want to even say it's a, a pet peeve or an ick, but people just being selective for no reason, I guess. Ages I get, especially if it is because, um, you know, you have small children in the house and things like that. But I think my biggest pet peeve would probably be just that, um, you know, I have seen some foster parents treat their biological kids differently than their foster kids. And for a child that really has nothing or has nobody, that's, that's a big ick, but we're really blessed with the foster parents that we have. Honestly, I, I really don't have any right now that I can think of off the top of my head that even make me regret, you know, starting the process to become a foster parent. Um, mm-hmm. we, we really are blessed. We have quality over quantity with our foster parents right now, but, um, you know, I, I, I think the important thing to know is that, if you're going to become a foster parent, first of all, a lot of people, another going back to the misconceptions, a lot of people think that if you become a foster parent, you have to take every child when you're called. Mm. And that's also not the case, at least in Indiana, you can say no. If you're, if you feel like your, your house is too full or, um, you know, you're having a difficult time with one of your kids, you don't have to say yes. Um, but if you, kind of like on that same topic, if you're thinking about becoming a foster parent, it's important to know that you're not going to get a perfectly behaved little angel that's going to clean up after themselves and not be a picky eater. You're getting a child that has been removed from everything they've ever known. Mm -hmm. And you may be the sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth foster home that they've been in. Mm -hmm. So the important thing is for parents to just give these kids grace. A lot of, you know, A lot of adults don't deal well with change, but if you have a child who, you know, maybe special needs that's in their eighth foster home within two years, there's going to be a lot of, a lot of difficulty there. Yeah, that's a good point. And it's something that we were prepared for probably from talking to you, honestly, and just talking to other families who are, you know, foster parents already, which is a great way to kind of start the conversation. Um, even then I thought we were like, so ready, you know, even with accepting our first placement, she's, you know, more so like maturity wise and like emotionally wise, more like my two-year-old. And so that's been an interesting thing to navigate. Cause I was like, Oh, we're accepting, you know, a four-year-old. So she'll be like my four-year-old close to it. Right. Your four-year-old's on a different level though. My four-year-old's actually 14. Yeah. He's, he's a grown adult. He has a mortgage and a 401k. He literally bagged my groceries the other day at the grocery store. I love him so much. <laughs> I was like, Everett, why are you amazing? I mean, I'm not even kidding. He put even all the cans together, all the code stuff together. I'm like, you even did it right. Like what? <laughs> it just it shows he's watching you. Yeah. So anyway, uh, yeah, that's it. That's a great call out. Well, just to kind of wrap up, uh, how can folks start to think about getting involved with youth? I know it's obviously different per state, but in, in Indiana, maybe talk through what that process looks like. 
I mean, I think it's very, very similar for every state. Definitely just hit the old Google um, and show um, or type in rather. I'm, my brain's fried. I had court today. Um, but just search for your state DCS, CPS, DCFS. There's a thousand acronyms. Um, so true. But search, search for that. And um, even going a bit further and just searching specifically for how to become a foster parent. Um, if you can't become a foster parent, another good way to become involved with youth as a volunteer is um, a CASA or court appointed special advocate. Mm-hmm. Um, CASAs represent the kids in court. They speak up on the kids, you know, interest. And it's one thing if it's a two month old baby, but when you have a child that's 10, 11, 12 years old, um, having somebody that can voice their concerns and their thoughts in court and be in their corner and Mm -hmm. only in their corner is huge. Um, the causes are the child's voice in the courtroom and their main focus is what is in the best interest of that child. So, um, CASA is a nationwide program. Um, all you have to do is search for your local CASA and um, see about becoming a volunteer. I'm not really sure about the requirements as far as volunteer hours, but I've had CASA volunteers who have been teachers, nurses, therapists. I mean, just about everybody, stay-at-home moms. Um, so there's there's a lot of opportunities for people when it comes to helping with youth. Um, so those are the two big ones. If you can't be a foster parent, think about maybe being a CASA. Um, I had never heard of that before. So thanks yeah. so much for sharing. Yeah, it's it's a really great program. Um, I'm really close with our CASA director in my county, and she's always searching for volunteers. And I think um, I think to be a CASA, you only have to be 18. So mm-hmm. you know, people awesome. can become a CASA while they're in college or or things like that. Um, yeah. And the only requirements are really you know showing up to the child and family team meetings and speaking on the behalf of the child, checking progress and, you know, following along with the case and just making sure that you are doing what is in the best interest of that child. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we'll try to link some resources in the show notes as usual. Um, There's also resources that I linked in the last podcast, specifically for the state of Mississippi. I almost just said Indiana. See what you did to me? I'm like forgetting where I'm at. Mississippi and Indiana and all the places. I mean, like I said, we, we truly have listeners all over the states and even in lots of other countries. And this series in particular has already spurred so many wonderful conversations around um, how do I get involved or what does it look like? It even spurred a Slack channel in, at my company where we've got folks who are joining, just want to be like a fly on the wall and kind of see what it looks like. So we're definitely changing hearts and minds. And Rachel, we so appreciate everything that you oh, do for the kids in Indiana. You. you are such a light and I'm so thankful that they have you. I know that um, you just really make a difference in in those kids' lives. So I personally well, I have certainly- experienced your big heart. So I I definitely try to. And if anybody has any questions too, I'm super active on social media. Um, 90% of the time, it's like sharing pictures of my dogs and um, memes, but um, I am active on social media and I'm an open book um, because there are a lot of things that, um, you know, I can't really talk about on a public forum, but can be said in, in private conversation, not any, you know, nitty gritty details or anything like that, but just more kind of in depth about what to expect. Um, if you're thinking about 
working in the child welfare field, if you're thinking about becoming a foster parent, if you are thinking of becoming a CASA, or if you, um, you know, want to know what to do in instances where you suspect child abuse or neglect. Um, that's a great, because that's one thing that a lot of people do talk about. And a lot of questions that people have, um, they're scared to report because Mm -hmm. they think that, um, they'll get in trouble if there's not something there. And truthfully, the only time that there can be any kind of repercussions are if you are making a false report purely out of malice. If you truly do think that something is wrong with a child, if you see something, say something. Um, Mm -hmm. Because, you know, if you want to prevent a child from ending up in the foster care system, early intervention is key. So the first time you see something that may prevent a family from being torn apart. Yeah. I love that. Let's be sure to include resources for reporting as well. Cause that's another side to it that I think I wasn't even thinking about. Um, it's obviously crossed my mind, um, you know, with going to daycare and, you know, we hear about things that happen there, but, um, yeah, such a good call out. Well, Rachel, we loved having you and it was just you know, you a so matter much. of time to have you on the podcast. So thank you all so much for listening. We hope this was encouraging and inspiring and just overall a, a blessing um, to, you know, mental health for these kids and, and for us. And hopefully we can make some positive changes in our kids' lives and future foster kids' lives. And we'll kind of close with that. So thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time.